Welcome back to The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in 30 minutes or less. I'm Kevin Cook in for Austin Staten. We went a little long on Monday when we were recording, uh, and so we have an adjunct episode here uh, just to get you prepared for college football over the weekend. Um, I guess this would be the second in the week, so maybe we're now the bi-weekly brew, uh, or maybe not. I really didn't run that by anyone. In any case, I hope you guys enjoy. The Two Minute Drill. All right, so it's transitioning into college football. So uh, college football playoffs, uh, the new thing. How do you feel like it worked out last season? It was the first inaugural season. What do you think of the spectacle, the way it all kind of came together? Was it a success? Was it a success? Um, it's, I, I, can, I can phrase that in two different perspectives. Um, it, it was a success compared to the former BCS system. I will definitely agree and think that it was far better than what we had. I think it was very underwhelming and disappointing um, for what I was expecting and wanting out of a college football playoff. I think both in the fact that it's only four teams, I'm hoping that it would go to at least eight, um, possibly 12. I don't think four is nearly enough um, to accommodate a true playoff and finding out who the true champion should be uh, of college football. Uh, but in particular, just the way the the committee has chosen to go about um, announcing their rankings, uh, doing the one-hour show, and uh, how they chose to to leave Baylor and TCU out in favor of Ohio State, and and just really kind of handpicking the almost the concept of like a good loss is better than a bad win. Um, I, I don't like the way they're kind of playing with uh, you know the tradition and the, and the just the whole like the aspect of like what's being played on the field. And I know that a lot a lot of our listeners who might not be Baylor fans are you know perhaps saying that and. In the sense of, you know, just the fact that Will Baylor got left out and, you know, the whole TCU fiasco that happened. But I want to be clear that um, while I am a little bitter about that, I think the way that the college football playoff committee treated TCU was almost even worse than how I feel like we got shanked um, as Baylor fans. To take TCU going into the last uh, week of the season, ranked number three, perhaps? Um, they were they were definitely in. It was either three or four. They were ahead of Baylor. Um, going into the last week of the season, they were in the playoff, and they did nothing but demolish Iowa State, did nothing of proving, I don't believe they should have been there in the first place, but did nothing to earn dropping two spots in the polls, simply because Ohio State, a one-loss team who lost to an unranked, barely bowl-eligible Virginia Tech team, um, the, the TCU fans just got totally pulled for, uh, you know, pulled through the mud, and I... I as, as much as I enjoy the rivalry, I felt bad for them and how they got treated in that whole thing. And uh, unfortunately, with Ohio State winning the national championship, it kind of goes, you know, to really just kind of you disprove any point I had about they shouldn't have been there in there to begin with. But, you know, really, it should, should have been more than just four teams. But that's just my opinion. What, what are your thoughts so, on the college football playoff? Well, let me ask you, what was the breakdown there? I mean, if there was a failure, and I think that you make a good case for it, was there an agenda? Was there uh, poor information, a poor selection process? What What do you think caused that sort of uh, calamity at the end of the season for TCU? I mean, was it was it bias? I think a lot of it had to do with the, just honestly the fact that the Big Twelve wasn't willing to um, that the Big Twelve wasn't willing to name a Big Twelve champion. Uh, and we had co-champions, but even even with that, um, the fact that it was Baylor and TCU, and you had Ohio State, one of the premier, you know, historic programs, you know, a big name, big audience, big money, big following, 
Uh, when, when you're the college football playoff, I just have a really hard time believing that the people in there weren't wanting a certain outcome. And if they had their choice, which it ultimately came down to, if they had to choose between Baylor, TCU, and Ohio State, that they would want Ohio State in the playoff just simply because of their history, their name, the fact that they are going to draw big audiences, um, and, and all of that that, that kind of went in. And, and I honestly... When, when asked the question, I would like anybody who disagrees with that to replay last year and imagine instead of Baylor and TCU fighting over that last spot of not having a true champion, even though that's what the commercial said, um, <laughs> if it were Texas and OU, would Texas or OU, whoever won that game between Baylor and TCU, whoever won that UT-OU game, do they think that Ohio State would have leapfrogged Texas or OU, the winner of that game? I personally don't believe so. I think a lot of it had more to do with the fact that we were dealing with younger private schools that don't have nearly the following, nearly the, the legend that, that Ohio State brought to the table. And I think that played a little bit into it. That's a fair point. You know, I'm looking through the, uh, the committee. Wasn't Oliver Luck on this committee when it was formed? Yes, yes, he was. Okay, so he's not anymore, though. Right, it's changed no. a little bit. It's fun. Actually, if you go to collegefootballplayoff.com and scroll down the uh, selection committee list here, we got a nice little, it's white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white, and you see what I'm doing here. And then Condoleezza Rice, who just, uh, first of all, lovely human being. Uh, I, I dig Condoleezza, but uh, boy, she really is the outlier here. And then Tyrone William feels a bit like a um, like a token selection. I hope that's not true, but uh, this is a huge consortium of white guys and ties uh, making these selections. I, I think I think it's <laughs> just to look Honestly, at it. I hadn't even noticed that. I guess um, I, I, you know, I was. Uh, I, I guess I look at it and I just see, um, you know, football, uh, you know, acumen and credibility, and, and you know, some in there that I honestly don't believe belong in there. I honestly don't think any athletic director belongs in there. I mean, you you've you've got a vested interest not only in your school but then in your conference um, for wanting to you know to put them in there. I, I think it, one one proposition I thought that would be kind of good is if you had. Um, you know, it was made up of coaches and athletic directors from Division II schools that had absolutely no vested interest whatsoever in any way um, selecting the, the four teams to play in the playoff. But uh, the way it's set up, I don't see how anybody, you know, with athletic directors or former coaches can really truly take out their bias one way or another for a particular team or conference or against another team or conference. Yeah, the chair is Jeff Long, the vice chancellor and director of athletics at University of Arkansas Fayetteville. Uh, but here's a, here's a bold prediction. This is a hot take. You're hearing it here first. All right. When Obama steps down, is there any way he isn't on this committee? <laughs> uh, well, I think if his um, football acumen is about as powerful as the way he uh, threw out his throws out his first pitch, um, I certainly hope for the sake of college football that he's not. <laughs> you know, I, this is interesting. The uh, the best first pitch in the history of first pitches. They did a thirty for thirty on it. Was Bush? Uh, you know, after the after nine eleven, when he threw out the uh, the pitch in the World Series. And, yeah, you know, the Yankees were in it. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that thirty for thirty yet? I have not seen that 30 for 30, but I'm going to go look that up after this. Oh, it's really strong. And, uh, you know, I'm not at all a Republican. I'm a card-carrying Democrat. And as you saw in the group uh, chat, uh, a literal card-carrying member of the ACLU as well. Yeah. But I always liked Bush. Uh, my dad had some interactions uh, with him. I didn't ever personally meet him. But I, I got the impression from people that knew him were around him that he was a nice guy, a likable guy. And I think that 30 for 30 really seals it for me. So I'm not one of these guys on the left that's going to crucify Bush. A lot of mistakes were made. Um, he made a lot of mistakes, but uh, certainly in doing research about like the Iraq war and so forth, uh, a lot of it was that Brimmer character that was, uh, I think, responsible for it. But but if you haven't seen that 30 for 30 with the first pitch there, um, it's really moving. I think it's only about 20, 25 minutes long. Uh, and I actually heard some interviews with Bush in which he was extremely personable and affable. And I think that um, 
wasn't it he himself who said that history would vindicate him? Yes, I believe it was. Yeah, that's a, that's that's another hot take, bold prediction. But uh, I think if not vindicate him, history may be kind to him. He seems to be uh, aging pretty well, sort of like Clinton. You know, Clinton was embroiled in some controversy uh, in the latter part of his presidency. And I think that ultimately he's sort of a uh, you know respected elder statesman now. And I think that I see that sort of future for Bush as well. But I, I you heard it here first. Obama is going to be on this football selection committee uh, when he steps down. I don't think there's any way that doesn't happen. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. And remember, The Weekly Brew is brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com, the new American dream. I made over $182 million playing on DraftKings.com last week alone. I mean, this is really amazing, guys. You've got to get on there. The new American dream, just go to DraftKings.com and sign up with the promo code Horatio Alger. And you'll be living your own American dream in no time. DraftKings.com, where everyone makes all their money. Welcome back to the Weekly Brew. All right, let's transition to the uh, University of Michigan. That was probably the most momentous uh, moment that happened uh, over this weekend in college football. Oh, he fumbled the ball. Now he fumbled it in the air, and it's picked up by Michigan State at the 20, the 15, the 10, and he's going to score. No time left. You've got to be kidding me. That you could not write. Michigan had the game on the line, on the foot, and Michigan State wins it with a 37-yard fumble return on a punt that is mishandled by Blake O'Neill. It was it was crushing for the for the Michigan fans. But just what was your reaction in the moment? Were you watching this live? No, I wasn't uh, watching it live. Um, I was actually down in Waco for the Baylor-West Virginia game and then walked around campus uh, with right. my girlfriend and uh, then made it back to um, uh, made it back uh, to her parents' place and, and saw what had happened and uh, looked at the uh, the recap and everything and just, just couldn't believe it. The first thing that honestly popped into my mind was uh, that uh, Alabama-Auburn game from a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah. I, I, I guess the, the first thing really that popped in my mind was sympathy for the punter. Um, and uh, I was actually going for Michigan in that game. Uh, I have a little bit of uh, bitterness for Michigan State in, in the way the Cotton Bowl played out last year. But uh, uh, I really like Jim Harbaugh, and I think he's got some, uh, you know, he's going to do great things up there at the University of Michigan. But, man, I, uh, I can't imagine a worse way to lose a game um, if you're Michigan, and how lucky Michigan State has been, not just in this game, but in this year with uh, barely escaping Purdue and, and how they are just they are just hanging on by a thread to their undefeated record. Team of destiny. I mean, I think I saw a stat that said it was uh, 98.2%. Or no, the, the, the odds of margin of victory percentage for Michigan State at that point was 0.2%. So certainly very fortunate. It's interesting that you talk about your immediate response being sympathy, which again, uh, I think only goes to show how sweet and decent of a person you are. Of course, if you were on social media, which you're not, you would know that the immediate outpouring was vitriol, uh, hatred for this kicker. There were death threats. There were very horrible things that we can't repeat on this clean, family-friendly show that we run here. But um, it sort of blew up negatively. And then what's more interesting, I think, is that there was sort of a shift after that um, with an outpouring of support. And so as I examine this, social media to me seems almost like a Vegas line. Um, like it was sort of set after the in the immediate moment with hatred towards the kicker. And then everybody realized, oh my God, there's too much money on the side of hatred. And there was this outpouring of support that, that sort of carried on afterwards. So um, uh, the Detroit Lions punter, Sam Martin, tweeted at this kid, O'Neal, 
uh, who's the punter, said, ignore the Twitter clowns, brother. Keep your head up and carry on. You're a beast. Season is young, my friend. And then there's like what appears to be a pounding fist emoji, <laughs> which is sweet. I mean, that's great. And that's what social media, that's, you know, you've, you've pointed out some of the negative things. That's, and we saw negative things with people making death threats with the poor kid as well. That's sort of the positive part, I think. And that's, that's really cool um, that there was that sort of outpouring of support for him. Uh, and that was... It's hard to warm my heart. My heart is not a, a warmable heart, but that's uh, that sort of does it. But interesting notes about the game. Uh, Harbaugh, who you mentioned, uh, his contract promises a combined $800,000 in bonuses for getting to the college football playoffs uh, and or winning a national title. Uh, well, you can't do one without the other, of course, but um, the bonus comes whether he gets the play or whether he wins the title or not. And um, so that that might impact him financially. And I wonder what that dynamic could be like. Uh you know, that, that this kid, a young man, you know, ostensibly an amateur, although I think they should be paid, um, that he may have cost his coach $800,000. That sort of, to me, speaks to the murky nature of this whole business with the amateurism and then the high pay scale for coaches and athletic directors on the other side of it. Uh, it's really, it's a convoluted issue, I think. And I mean, what, what are your feelings about um, athletes and, and uh, amateur student athletes, so forth, and the paying of athletes? You know, I, I honestly, I'm completely against the professionalization of these uh, amateur college athletics. Um, I, I see it happening primarily in uh, college football and basketball. I just think it's it's destroying the sport and what makes the sport so great and what, what makes college football and, and college athletics in general just so much different than professional sports altogether. Um, I do believe that with uh, the way things um, currently are and video games and everything that the players should be able to be uh, compensated for the likeness of their image being used in those instances. Um, I think uh, what I would be in favor of in, in those sorts of instances is putting uh, accumulating all that sort of money and, and, and stuff into a trust that they receive upon graduation. Um, I, I think it. Uh, I think at the forefront of all of this is that we have to remember that they are student athletes, um, or at least hopefully. Uh, student athletes, and um, that that the first uh, you know word mentioned in that is student, and that they should be treated like students. Um, I, I like some of the things that uh, that the NCAA uh, has started to do in terms of compensating them, because there there is certainly some time uh, restrictions that comes with being a student athlete um, that that you know prevents them from being able to t- to take a job if they need extra funding, you know, um, you know throughout their their time there, and there are a lot of just really ridiculous restrictions and rules um that the ncaa has put in place uh you know understandably like i understand why they did but you know when you take a step back it's it's not helping if the first thing i'm thinking of right now honestly is uh that guy for connecticut um that played basketball and you know going hungry and stuff like that like that that shouldn't happen um with the way way things are right now uh i do think though um that you know there there are some some pluses and minuses. I think uh, student athletes are treated a little too much, um, too much like professional athletes in, in the way that they receive, uh, you know, tutoring that no other student uh, at a university is going to be able to receive, and, and almost pampered in a way as far as their uh, their studies are concerned that other students don't have to deal. I'm gonna with. stop you right there. This is, a, this is an interesting point. I actually worked for uh, the University of Houston. I was uh, a tutor in the athletics department. I can, I can speak to that. Certainly, they are afforded opportunities um and help uh i mean to an overwhelming degree that that other students uh, are not and you know i'm not going to get deep into it there but but yeah i got the impression that that was sort of um true everywhere that that really there was no place where they weren't 
given a lot of things, you know, not necessarily talking about academic violations, but just the amount of resources and time and people that were devoted to keeping them eligible. And those were my marching orders at the University of Houston was make sure these kids are eligible. You know, they need to be out there on the court. I work primarily with basketball players, you know, or they need to be out there on the field. And, um, you know, it's, it's corrupt. I mean, it's just corrupt from top to bottom. And I, I don't think that there is any way to, uh, it's, it's like Pandora's box. You know, it's been opened. It was opened ages ago. This is not a new problem, but you can't take those demons, you know, those ugly mosquitoes and, 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 you know, animals and stuff them back into the box. I think you sort of have to play in the real world. And I don't think there's any way to get back to the sort of utopia that I think you want it to be. The amateurism, you know, what makes it different from professional sports. Let's be real. These are professional sports. At this point, these are semi-pro. And I think that, you know, like you talked about the player from Connecticut, or there are lots of instances of, of, you know, you talk about putting money in trust. Well, what if that kid's family is hungry, man? Like, you know, if you talk about a kid who might stay here instead of going overseas to play basketball, it's happening a lot. Um, get him the money now. If he can make money off of his likeness, why should he have to wait four years or more likely two or three years, you know? Well, I think some of the funding that I'm thinking that would come in to kind of further compensate for that is just, you know, some of the stipends that they've started to put in and, you know, you know, guaranteeing these these students meal plans um, and things like that. And kind of there, there are other ways to go about, you know, ensuring uh, that, uh, you know, that they um, – that they are able to receive the, uh, I want to say care, but that's not really the right word that I'm trying to use here. <laughs> it's not um, the right word. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that these, these students aren't, you know, just being left out in the cold. And I, I agree. I mean, there is certainly, uh, an, an aspect of that. It, it's the true amateurism. We're just never going to get back to, uh, for me, you know, one of the ideas that I've kind of come up with of just accepting the reality of where we are, but trying to get back to, um, you know, maybe some sense of that amateurism is allowing students to come in. And if you want to get paid to play, you can, but you are treated therefore as an actual employee and subject to the, to the, you know, um, responsibilities and the, uh, you know, invasiveness that comes with an employer employee relationship. Whereas if you, and, uh, and you get to do that, but you also don't get to go to class and you don't get the guaranteed diploma that almost these students are guaranteed should they choose to stick around for three or four years. If a, uh, an athlete, student athlete comes in and they, they choose, you know, I want to go to class, I want the diploma, I intend to stick around three or four years, and that's really why I'm here is to get the education, then give them a scholarship, um, you know, treat them the way that they're treating them now as, as a student athlete and, you know, kind of a way to, to separate that. And I think that would also be a way to kind of distinguish um, between the, the people who, like, are they going there because they really want to see their future in, in college athletics, or are they going there to try and get an education and and better themselves for a life outside of sports. I mean, we, we see that uh, commercial that the NCAA puts on about like what, you know, only 10% of student athletes actually go on to have a career in professional athletics. And that, you know, I would hope that that, that would kind of wake up some of these people that if you have to choose between, are you going to be treated like a, like a professional employee or you do you want to have the benefit of going to school, getting an education and, you know, bettering yourself for your future and uh, really kind of, you know, putting it on the line there. That's an interesting idea, but... But you're saying that these, you know, professional employee athletes and the amateur student athletes are playing on the same teams. They're fielding the same teams, but you have sort of like the haves and the have-nots playing on the same field together? Absolutely. I think I look at it to be just kind of like a redefinement of the difference between a scholarship and a walk-on player. Um, And, uh, you know, like uh, I think every university would have some of both, uh, to be honest. I think uh, one of the things that I, I get really scared about the idea of allowing the, in the professionalization of it and, and allowing you know universities to pay is that you're going to see a massive 
discrepancy in what universities can afford, in fact, to be able to pay these players. And and you're just going to get into so much more of the, uh, you know, the the big, rich, wealthy schools just being able to take, you know, there's there's going to be a little bit less, I would think, of um, perhaps, you know, students who want to go to smaller schools for legacy reasons or, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I just... I fear in when you open up the market to that level of, uh, you know, just, you know, let whatever, you know, school wants to pay, you know, these players that, that that's, that's just not the purpose of college athletics. That's not the purpose of, um, of college in general. In, in, in my opinion, I just really hate to see what is supposed to be an academic institution in an educational arena opened up and treated more like the free market. That's an interesting take coming from a, uh, a vowed Republican such as yourself. <laughs> But I mean, you do I, have some nostalgia. I, I, I can. I mean, I, I I'm all in favor of of the free market. I just, to me, the point of this, and if the, if we were dealing with uh, a business or a professional, you know, standpoint, that's you know, that's what I'd be advocating is 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 a free market. But I, you know, this is a uh, this is about education. It's supposed to be about education, not about winning. Um, and it's supposed to be about bettering people's uh, you know intelligence and and preparing them for you know a lifetime of of hard work. Uh, and, and I just, I don't want to see that taken away, um, just in the name of, of sport. That's a fair point. All right. We're running short on time. So, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the American athletic conference, which I wouldn't doubt if many of our listeners are wholly unfamiliar with, uh, three AAC teams now rank in the top 25, uh, in the composite polls and, and, uh, AP and coaches poll. And that of course would be uh, Memphis temple and my alma mater at the university of Houston. Uh, coming in at number 24 there, uh, playing 6-0 and ball through the season. So, um, But do you want to get into your picks uh, for the college football playoffs? Yeah, as of right now, um, my four is going to be Ohio State, Baylor, Utah, and LSU. Those are the four I'm going with right now. Strong. Uh, I, my pick is that Baylor will not make it. Okay. That's all I got. That's fair. <laughs> I am needling you. Uh, as many people know, I do have, uh, I think Bill Simmons talks about sports hate. Um, I do have sports hate for Baylor. It was Baylor's wealth uh, and influence that kept the University of Houston out of the Big 12 when the Southwestern Conference dissolved. Um, so there's a lot of residual. Took Art Bryles, took RG3. We were talking about this in the group chat this week. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to hate Baylor. But I don't hate Baylor as a football team. I mean, I agree. I think they're going to be there this year. This is this is looking like their year, especially after after last year. But it's just it's weird to look up at the polls and see them both in the top four. And I feel like there could be some chicanery. There could be uh, you know tricks, just like last season. So I, I worry about that. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. This has been the Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary, brewed up in thirty minutes or less. We hope you enjoyed the auxiliary podcast. Uh, I know I certainly enjoyed recording it. Please take a moment to go find us on iTunes, subscribe, and most importantly, leave us a nice five-star review with a little blurb uh, about the positive impact we've had in your life. I know we have. Uh, you'll be glad you did. And remember, you can find us on Facebook.com slash Weekly Brewcast and on Twitter at Weekly Brewcast, and we'd love to interact with you there. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.